Hey, Real Talkers, fall session at the Alberta Legislature kicks off today with the speech from the throne. So what can we expect from Premier Danielle Smith's UCP government and Rachel Notley's official opposition NDP? And does this Alberta pension plan idea actually have legs or is it doomed to fail and hurt the government along the way? We'll get into it in this episode of Real Talk. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Well, it's a new day. It's a new week. It's a new legislative session. The action gets underway at the Alberta Legislature later this afternoon. Of course, we're recording this live in Alberta's capital city of Edmonton on this Monday morning. Premier Danielle Smith and her majority government will get to business. Rachel Notley and her formidable number of opposition MLAs will, well, do what they do best. There will be a lot of talk about the Alberta Pension Plan initiative. There's going to be a lot of talk about energy stability, prices, affordability, and everything else. And today is also a big announcement, a new Alberta politics show in 30 seconds. You're going to meet the hosts and we're going to get into what you can expect from the discourse. But first, we want to let you know that this episode of Real Talk is presented by our friends at Rello. If this is a time where you're looking at a new career path, you've been dreaming about a new opportunity, maybe being your own boss, running your own business, leaving cubicle life behind. How good does that sound? If you want all that plus unlimited earning potential, a career in real estate might be your perfect match. You can get started today by enrolling with Rello. That's R-E-L-O. Rello is Alberta's top real estate state school and they'll support you every step of the way from studying for your exam to getting your license and beyond plus with rello you can study 100 online on your own schedule so it's going to work for you no matter what and right now a great opportunity for real talkers you can save 20 percent on any rello course with the code real talk that's all one word get started today at rello.ca I'm Cheryl Oates. And I'm Erica Brudis. For years, we've been on different teams. Working in senior roles for NDP and Conservative Alberta Premiers. Now, we're teaming up. The Discourse is a new political podcast that takes you behind the scenes. And helps you understand not just what's happening, but why. We've got exclusive insights that only come with years of experience in the halls of power. If you're looking for the inside scoop on why politicians do and say the things they do and what it means for you, subscribe today to The Discourse on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. The hosts of The Discourse, Erica Barudis, the founding president of the United Conservative Party, former principal secretary for Alberta Premier Danielle Smith and Cheryl Oates, former director of communications for Alberta Premier Rachel Notley joining us on this Monday morning. Congratulations on the show, you two. It's got to be an exciting day. It is. I don't think I'm Thank ever going to get sick of that trailer. <laughs> Pretty good trailer. Yeah, Johnny Infamous hit it out of the park on that one. Cheryl, this is something that the two of you have been thinking about for a while. Uh, you, you've been foes politically, but when you've come together, including right here on Real Talk, uh, the analysis and, and kind of the formula of the two of you sharing your insights has been something that a lot of people have been really interested in. Yeah, and I think that's sort of what pushed us to look for a way to continue to have these conversations on a more longer term basis. Like you said, we did this during the election. We sort of went head to head 
every week and in between talking about our respective parties. And I think what was different and maybe refreshing about what we brought is that it's fair to say that Erica and I agree on so very little politically, <laughs> um, but that's okay. We have no problem sharing our ideas, calling each other out and bringing a really, un, uh, well, politically biased, but open-minded perspective to the analysis of Alberta politics. And, and it's kind of an added angle. You get you get a lot of podcasts out there, um, some of them sort of like the, the armchair quarterback, the pundits, <laughs> but both of you having held senior roles in government adds another layer of kind of understanding to, to what's happening and why it's happening. Well, exactly. And one of the things Cheryl and I like really aligned with, even though we don't uh, ideologically, uh, was on this is a no spin, right? So holding each other accountable of like not just reading key messages from a party. You're not there as as we were in the election as, as spokespeople um, for our, our respected parties. Now it's our perspectives being brought. Um, you know, so it's a little bit different than you know just your your pundits. It's mm-hmm. a little bit more raw, a little bit more real. I want to get into obviously what people can expect from the Alberta Legislature today and through this week and through this session, the next six to eight weeks, basically. But Cheryl, first of all, so people can get a clear idea, you're saying that the two of you disagree on pretty much everything politically. <laughs> uh, where would you say would be, like uh, give me an example of where you think the two of you just absolutely would not align? Where have you seen that? Well, I mean, pick an issue. <laughs> Um, And I think we'll have really different perspectives coming up uh, later this week when we launch our first episode. I think we're going to dive into CPP where you can imagine, given our political allegiances, that we disagree on what's happening in in the Alberta discourse and the idea that Alberta should leave the Canadian pension plan. And not only will we voice our opinions on this, but we will also sort of dig into why our parties have taken the positions that they have and what they're likely to do as the debate moves forward. Where, how much, let's get into what this session is going to look like. Um, this APP, the Alberta Pension Plan, uh, people really only have anecdotal evidence, myself included, on, on what they want to say. Some people mm-hmm. can say, well, I think a lot of Albertans are really excited about this. My take on this is that very few Albertans are are excited about this, but nobody really knows. There's not been a referendum yet. There's some polling, you know, ish, uh, but there's there's not been a lot of transparency to it. People don't even really know what it's going to look like. They don't even know what the numbers are like. So it's hard to form an opinion. Mm-hmm. Are you actually like doubled down all in big fan of this, Erica? Are you still making up your mind? I think that there's still a lot to, to be learned. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I don't know. I've read the report. I've done a lot of uh, research into other jurisdictions that have have tried this. Um, and I, I still am, am a little bit mixed feeling. So I think that that's the opportunity for the government to communicate, you know, what it means. Um, contrast with the NDP is saying with like, it's stealing your, your pension because, you know, that's not really true. So I think that there's a lot of communication that still needs to happen. And that's what I would like to see from the UCP and the government is, you know, how does it impact me? I, I can't fathom what you know, three three hundred plus billion means. Um, so I think making it a little bit more uh, individual or realistic will help Albertans understand that. And you know, we don't want to go too much into it because Cheryl and I might be talking about this on uh, mm. Friday. But we've had lots of discussions, and this has kind of been one of our sticking points of of where we can agree, uh, disagree, but de- be you know respectful in that discourse sure yeah let people know that the discourse will be available every friday on youtube and wherever you get your podcast we encourage you to subscribe you can subscribe today they're up there already cheryl how's the government done how's this conservative government done um you know uh, on, on the messaging around this a pretty high profile interview over the weekend finance minister horner talking to our good friend vashi capellos and and he basically alluded to the fact that that they hope to get a good feeling about where Albertans stand on this, whether or not they'll send this to referendum. She pushes them on it, and, and then he 
says, well, uh, we'll look for more than a feeling. And then everybody's brains erupted into one of the greatest rock ballads of all time. But but how has the government done on this, Cheryl? I think they've missed the mark. Like, I don't I, I don't think you'll be surprised to hear me say that. Erica said that they need to do a lot more communication. And I would say yes, but they also need to do a lot more public consultation. And there is a huge difference between public consultation and propaganda and offering a survey where you don't have the opportunity to say that you don't want to leave CPP is not public consultation. That's pushing an agenda. And I think in this case, they've overswung a little bit and the public has seen through that uh, and what it is for for a political lever there. How This is like, could be a, a dangerous zone for the premier to tread. I want to let our audience know that Daniel Smith will be joining me in studio on Wednesday. So you have a chance you can send your questions in for consideration to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Obviously, I'm going to ask her about how far are you willing to ride this horse? If it proves to be incredibly unpopular, are you willing to stake your political legacy, your political future, your career on it, essentially? Mm-hmm. Is there a scenario where the premier picks up on a vibe that Albertans are not into this and drops it like a hot potato? Yeah, I mean, she's actually a very good listener uh, and and receptive of feedback. So, I mean, I think that the way it's structured right now with going to a referendum makes it that it is the people's choice. It is Albertans that get to decide. I think then all cards should be on the table. Um, both, you know, the, the NDP stop misleading Albertans, the uh, United Conservatives explaining exactly what it would mean for Albertans and the differentiation of, of multiple pensions that you might uh, instinctively think of. So I, I do think that, you know, she's been very honest in saying this isn't uh, my government's choice. This is also something she inherited from the Fair Deal panel and part of Jason Kenney's uh, United Conservative legacy. So I think she didn't have to do anything with it, though. And fair. But I mean, there's also fairness of of if Rachel Notley had won in May, you know, there was a report there. Do you release it? I think there would have there's some accountability to to the democracy and process that I think it's fair that she addressed, but is willing to let Albertans decide is is what I believe is in the best interest of Albertans. Cheryl, if Rachel had won, if those 1,600 votes across the province had been dispersed where they needed them and the NDP had formed government, what do you think she would have done with that report? I don't know what she would have done with the report, but I can assure you this is not the path that she would have gone down. There would have been no discussion about leaving CPP. Um, that's really important for Albertans. It's really important to protect pensions. And I like I just don't think there's any room to even have that conversation based on what the NDP ran on. Erica said a couple times that the NDP is misleading Albertans on this. What would you say to, in response? Well, I think like if we talk about misleading, putting out uh, ads and mailbox flyers that say that we could get over three hundred million in assets, and not saying that we would, Billion, like yeah. that's pretty tough for Albertans to swallow. If you're going to launch a campaign based on facts, at least make them facts. Like this isn't a a guaranteed amount of money that Alberta would leave and form a new Alberta pension plan. This is an idea that Alberta independently came up with. So the idea that other provinces wouldn't speak up on this, this would be allowed to happen and that that these would be the numbers that we would leave with. um, I think that's pretty misleading. Ryan, if I I can, just because I mean, the the joy of the discourse is I can (laughs) call Cheryl out on this. you didn't answer the question, my friend. You said what uh, the UCP <laughs> did. You didn't say, you know, the, the the and I get it. Like I get during an election period saying they're stealing their pensions when there wasn't the process in place. But, you know, on on I, I can't understand how that's a tactic of the NDP to now continue on with their stealing your pensions uh, when, when that's been kind of, you know, demythed. But if you don't have a choice about whether you 
truly want to leave CPP or not, if the question is, how would you like the fund managed and not do you want to leave? That is kind of stealing, isn't it? Like if it's taken from you and you don't have a choice in the matter, that is stealing. I feel like it's, I don't know. <clears throat> I, I mean, I just think generally, here's my, here's, if I had to only say one sentence on it, I think it's a bad idea. And I think politically it's going to be very unpopular and I, and I don't think it goes to referendum and I think the government will end up dropping it and that's fine. Um, but I, I also don't think that the government's stealing pensions, but they are messing with pensions. Do you know what I mean? So if people want to say like stealing is obviously a very loaded word. It people, sounds better in an ad. You know, than... people, yeah, it sounds, you're <laughs> right. It sounds way better. It sounds way better. It's more That's the, like all the creatives that were sitting there in communication. Totally. Like, we got it. This is the synonym. hundred percent. And it's very effective, right? Because yeah. it's like people are thinking of, and I'm not making light of this, but like people, you know, older people on fixed incomes that have worked in good faith for many years and, and their pensions are there to provide them some income security and, and then all of a sudden it's if getting, you qualify mo- yeah if you qualify it's getting moved and messed around and people didn't ask for it so i understand why it's polarizing i don't know about stolen but that's we don't need to sort of like split hairs over that one uh, cheryl what's another initiative or, or what's something else that you're keeping a keen eye on that you're expecting to see maybe you know bill one uh what are you expecting to hear from the throne speech today what what, what are you watching um, well, I, I think we've heard pretty clear, and I'm, I'll leave it to Erica to sort of talk about what the UCP's agenda is here. But I mean, this is, it's been a really quiet time over the summer, politically speaking. There's been a few issues pop up here and there that have been, you know, made national news in some cases. But relative to the last couple of years, it's been pretty quiet. And I think that's because most people, after a hard fought election, were looking for a little bit of a break. And now, you know, all eyes are on the legislature again for those who follow things like question period and the reporters who are looking for stories that come out of this. Danielle Smith, this is her chance. This is her first session as a premier elected by the general public uh, to sort of show what she stands for and demonstrate that she can lead the government with a steady hand. And for the opposition, I mean, they've, they've got to spend the next four more years looking like a government in waiting, showing that they can put forward better ideas than the government's putting forward and continue to build on that momentum that they had during the election despite losing it. So that work starts today um, on a stage that's much bigger than the stage that they had during the summer. Cheryl points out that this is the premier's first session mm-hmm. having won a general election. Everybody uses that word mandate. You remember when she won the leadership and became premier, some people said, well, she doesn't have a mandate yeah from Albertans. Are you expecting a different vibe, a different feel? How big is this for her? Yeah. Well, I mean, as someone that's lived through a lot of conservative leaders and sometimes where they didn't have their mandate before a general election, um, (laughs) it is, it is different, I think, for how you're coming into it. Cause there is some continuity. There is some housekeeping from, um, the, the Kenny era that, you know, obviously required, she needed to address, but this is, you know, it's going to be no surprise. Like Cheryl said, you know, they campaigned on, uh, safety and and uh, public safety and making people feel okay and addressing being tough on crime they talked about affordability and that also starts with where you'll see you know the bill one of the you know no increased taxes like um it's that was a campaign commitment so you're gonna see a lot of stuff that you heard in may but cheryl's right i think there was um both leaders i think strategically picked up on um the vibe of of albertans to just like kind of go away, like go to your tours, don't mm-hmm. make big, big splashes anywhere. Um, and this is now the time where Danielle Smith can, uh, the premier can take her, her mandate um, and really drive it home for for what she envisions for Alberta and what she's heard over, you know, her entire career and as well as her her premiership. How much of her assignment do you think is coming across as steady and reasonable 
and yeah. and all you know like the people that want to dismiss Danielle Smith will say and I say it respectfully yeah. but, but you know we call them what they are people say she's crazy mm-hmm. uh, she's crazy she listens to crazy people she has crazy ideas uh, we don't trust her uh, how much of her performance do you think in this session is is going to be intentionally coming across as reputable and trustworthy I can say I've seen a big shift in her in like she's now comfortable being premier. I think she's found her stride. I think the election is where like she shines in elections, right? So I think that that started helped her pivot into truly uh, embracing the role. So I think that she has shifted away um, from maybe that that narrative. I'm interested to hear what Cheryl has to say on that because, um, you know, that's I, I might I'm biased. I think she's done an incredible job over the last few months, and she's stuck towards things that matter to Albertans. She's continuing to stand up to Ottawa, but she's talking about renewables and embracing, you know, economic opportunities that way. Um, I think not really. she's found she a put balance. a seven month moratorium on wind and solar. She's not really standing up for renewables. Well, if you're gonna fix them then you might as well just pause it to do it right. I'm not a spaghetti throwing at the wall type person. I'm like, let's just pause. So I, I, you know, I mean, you can be, you can be critical of that, but what if it ends up being the best decision to, to get it right? What if? Yeah. Yeah. Cheryl? On the question of, uh, Danielle Smith's, um, challenge of how she conducts herself and how she's viewed by the public, like, Here's where I will prove that we're having a real discussion here and we're not just coming from our own political camps. I have been impressed by the way she's carried herself over the course of the summer. I think her years of uh, time as a journalist in front of a microphone with the pressure on have really paid off. And in times where, you know, I've attended some of the luncheon she's been at and she's done Q&A sessions, I've been really impressed. That's hard stuff to do. And she carries herself well. And she's going to have to keep doing that through the session under a much different kind of political pressure. And the question is not only can she get away without saying anything that is going to raise eyebrows or grab headlines, can she also get away through the session without doing anything? So far, we've seen, you know, CPP has uh, ignited conversation across the country. We've had... um, a lot of conversations in Calgary about clinics in the city charging people to see a family doctor. That is going to be a discussion as the NDP brings in a private members bill to protect public doctors and the fact that people shouldn't have to pay for them. Um, and things like the moratorium on renewable energy and the privatization of lab care in Alberta. Like these are big issues that she's going to have to not just uh, speak steadily in front of a camera on, but make some really important decisions on as well. And that will be a dual challenge for her. Scott's in our live chat. He says, when people resort to quote crazy, uh, they've lost the argument. Uh, I love Kimberly in here. She says, well, uh, talking about you, I think Erica, she says, well, at least she admits her bias. That's kind of the point. That's, <laughs> that every, is the bias, everybody's yeah. got a bias. Yeah. Uh, and so I appreciate what the two of you are doing and coming at this from different angles. Cheryl, this is kind of a sleeper issue, except not really because it's hundreds of millions of dollars and the healthcare system is impacted. Um, does the average person though care um, aside uh, the word privatization kind of makes some people it's kind of like can be a bit of a boogeyman word um, and I'm not meaning to make light of the situation but but Alberta has also benefited from some services being privatized uh, I, I look at like liquor as an example um, so is this inherently a bad idea do you think to privatize lab services or do you just want to see it if it's done to be done right and in, in the right direction well, there'll, there'll be an inquiry into it because I think, and what I, why I think this is important, not just because people want to debate the, whether this should be publicly delivered or privately delivered, but because it went so horribly wrong, because the government chose to bring in a company to deliver the services and it went so horribly wrong. Um, that's not just an issue of administration. Like these are tests that really impact people's health 
decisions and their prognosis and the way that they conduct themselves within their family and within their community. And I think because it has that emotional pull, because it's so important for people's decision-making in their lives, it does become a bigger issue. So it's not just about publicization or privatization. This is the, the uh, service was not delivered in the way that it should have been for Albertans. And we got, we had to get to a point where it was in crisis mm-hmm. to fix it. Yeah, and basically so the for... NDP has called on the, on the auditor general to look into it and, and there'll be an investigation. Sorry to step on your toes. Uh, it, it was back, back in August, basically where the Alberta government announced that it was, uh, you know, the services that were being provided by Dynalife were going to be transferred back to Alberta precision laboratories, a, 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 a subsidiary of the publicly owned Alberta Health Services. There's probably that added dynamic as well, Erica, whether it's just optics or not, mm-hmm. that people will look at this and say, well, you had a great idea here. You rolled it out. Now you're kind of eating crow and rolling it back. And this is the government that wants to move our pensions, right? Like, I feel like a lot of this, especially from an opposition standpoint, the messaging is going to come back to, and these are the people that want to take your pensions. Well, and, right? and that's the job of opposition, right? That is the job to to throw the grenades, trying to to sway people um, into to what they believe, right? And the government is the government, um, and they have their own views. So yes, uh, I think I, I I'm like if you screwed up, own it and and fix it, right? And I think we've seen that from the government a few times. I think a bigger issue though is generally with like politics is there's there's a lack of trust that is actually happening, right? There's a there's a trust d- distrust in government in administration, and I think that's something that all all governments and as well as opposition are, are battling right mm-hmm. now, right? So to your point on coming back of like general trust of what is this information and how accurate is it? I think all political leaders and all political parties are are dealing with that um, across our country and around the world. Yeah, we talked to, to Ken Dryden, former, mm-hmm. obviously, federal minister and, and obviously Hockey Hall of Famer on Thursday's show a few days ago. Uh, and he talked about that. He talked about how, and he didn't stop where you did. He didn't say governments. He was like in, in governments and institutions yeah. and education and media. Yeah. And like, you, you know what I mean? It's There is that kind of a general... Um, you know, general vibe. Uh, Cheryl, how much of this, when it comes to opposition, we talk about messaging, we talk about picking words, we talk about comm strategy. Um, how much of this can be torqued by opposition? And, you know, you, you alluded earlier to, to Rachel Notley and, and let's be honest, maybe a leadership race triggered in the next few months, whoever wants to lead this party into the next election, if it's not going to be Rachel Notley, is going to have to come across as trustworthy and not over sensationalizing and not trying to infuse a fear factor into politics. It's a fine line, right? Well, I think, I mean, very professionalized, experienced opposition parties don't pick issues to try to torque and build the public up over They pick issues that the public is already worried about. And yes, there's hotter language used, there's sound bites used, there's like the theater that comes with politics. But if you really truly want to be successful, you choose the issues that people are already talking about around their dinner table and choose the issues that people are talking about on the street and that the news is already covering at night and you campaign for the other side of it. So I think that's what you'll see. This is a very professionalized opposition party. It has a whole bunch more funding than it had before the last election. Um, years and years and years of experience, both on the elected official side and on the staff side. And I don't think that you're going to see them. Um, I think you're going to see them come out looking really professionalized, picking up on the issues that Albertans are already talking about, that Albertans already care about, and maybe just try to push them a little bit further. 
Ken in the live chat says privatization isn't necessarily better or cheaper uh, if they're served with single source contracts. He says, what's the competitive driver in that scenario? That's a fair comment. Um, people talking about Alberta is a bit of an outlier when it comes to liquor stores and sounds like changes on the way in Saskatchewan. I hadn't paid attention to that. Um, I don't want to just gloss over the fact that it's widely expected that Rachel Notley may or will resign as leader of the party at some point between, I don't know, November and June. Uh, Cheryl, what are you hearing? What are you willing to say out loud? And where do you think that maybe goes? So I, th- I know that Rachel has you know said publicly that she's going to take some time to think about this. And that's something that I know that she's still doing. So it's a tough decision. I mean, she has been at the helm of this party as a leader for over a decade now or about a decade now um, and been in politics longer than that. So um, she, I know, um, having a, had a personal relationship with her for a number of years now, that she's going to take this really seriously and think about not just what's best for her and her family, but also what's best for the party. And I don't think she's um, come to a decision on that. But uh, I expect that she will say something publicly in the coming months. Now, what are you expecting to see here, Erica, watching the other side? I'm going to watch the session, like, you know, when a bride's coming down the aisle, but you're looking at the groom. <laughs> I'm going to be watching, like, Rachel Notley, because I just think it's, it's, like Cheryl and I don't agree on a lot of things. I think Rachel Notley has done a a strong, incredible job as, as NDP leader. I think that she is more uh, of the, the brand of the party than, than the, the party itself. And so I think that's where uh, if I was her, it would probably be very difficult to make this decision with all the other things uh, combined. So I'm very interested to see to Cheryl's point, how she conducts herself, um, see if it's like telling of, of how she wants to exit the legislature and, and what time, but you know, I mean, I don't know the caucus obviously as well as Cheryl does. I can't think of one person that stands up as the natural successor. Mm. Um, because I, I do, I believe that Rachel Notley is, is the strongest asset that the NDP uh, in Alberta currently have. Um, and so to step away from that, it's going to have to be very delicate to ensure that the party still has the support that she's brought into it. Is that fair, Cheryl? Uh, I think that's partly fair. Um, I mean, Erica has said to me many times, I don't agree with anything Rachel Notley says, but man, she's good at this. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, I've heard I the same thing I... about Danielle Smith. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think (laughs) it's true that it will be hard for any like one day there is going to be a leadership race in the NDP and it will be very hard for anyone to have the kind of star power that Rachel has had over the course of her career. Is that impossible? Absolutely not. And part of it is because Rachel takes up such a big space in the party. There is such allegiance to her. She is, you know, has been for a long time, the face and the brand of the NDP in Alberta and eventually whenever we get to the stage where there is a leadership race and there's room for people to start taking up that space i think we will see um successors come up waiting in the wings having that star power having that charisma that it takes to take over the party and continue to build momentum but i agree we haven't seen a ton of it yet and that's because rachel is a giant personality um and there just hasn't been a ton of space for others to come up around the sides yeah i'm not i'm not trying to like draw parallels but but it is been it has been interesting and i can talk about this with charles adler in just a little bit i mean look at wab canoe right look look at what a leader i mean pierre polyev's another example but we're talking provincial politics right now uh what a leadership race can do to infuse not just interest and energy into a party but fundraising and and membership sales and all the things that matter uh, to people who have worked in jobs like both of you uh, that's a big deal 
mm-hmm. right? And 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 has that sort of like star making potential of uh, maybe these these candidates that could do a really good job. I could I could think of five or six off the top of my head within the NDP caucus that that might not be getting the star billing quite yet because that's not how a party works. You don't outshine the leader. Until there's yeah. a leadership race, right? Well, exactly. I mean, so. I, and I didn't mean that there wasn't great candidates. Oh, yeah. I just meant there wasn't a natural successor right. that we've seen. I probably have, you know, in on my bingo card, a, a few of them that wouldn't be any surprise to anyone else. But um, you're right. Like, it, it, they, they do have a strong caucus as well, right? Where the, the leader shines, the leader drives it, and, and they all play their proper supportive roles um looking forward to friday we'll put in our show notes here on today's episode of real talk on the podcast and on youtube links to where you can subscribe to the discourse with cheryl oates and erica baruti's episode number one goes this friday uh and of course we'll be reminding you of that as the days and weeks extend thanks to the both of you for joining us on the show today congratulations this is a big deal a lot of work goes into this behind the scenes so we're excited to see how it turns out thanks Thanks for having us yep you bet real talkers you know what to do now subscribe wherever you get your podcast subscribe on youtube as well Uh, looking forward to talking more politics with erica and cheryl as this fall session extends this conversation has been presented by our friends at friesen brothers they got a couple of things going on right now i want to let you know that every month friesen brothers introduces new family essentials easy family meal solutions these are simple but really interesting recipes that can be made using the products that are featured in the family essentials flyer you can find it online at friesen.com that's f-r-e-s-o-n.com a lot of hearty fall recipes in this month's family essentials from stews to pulled pork to chilies the full flyer is available online at friesen.com just look for the family essentials flyer our friends at athabasca university want to remind you that yeah sure september's kind of back to school you get into october and then soon we'll be into november wow but any time of year is a good time to start looking into your future at athabasca university canada's open university offers world-class accredited online programs and courses that offer flexibility to learn at your own pace. You can take a look at admissions requirements, uh, figure out what kind of student you are. It might have changed a little bit since you were last in school, how to apply, and of course, even resources toward financial support. You'll find it all at AthabascaU.ca. At Eden Landscaping, they're getting ready for the fall and winter months, which, of course, for them means a lot of the design work that happens. So this is when a lot of the early conversations with their clients are happening. People taking their big vision and then putting it down on paper. What will this actually look like? What will the budget look like? Uh, Johnny, I want to give a shout out to my wife, uh, Carrie Skelton. You know Carrie on Instagram. Well, if you go check out her reels today, you'll be able to check out some of the work that they've done in our yard, John, and they did a really, really beautiful job there. We're going to be showing photos this week here on Real Talk as well. It's Eden Landscaping. You'll find them online at landscapeedmonton.ca. See what they did for us in our outdoor space and how they can bring your outdoor space to life. Before we get to Charles Adler, wanted to also recognize Complete Care Restoration. They're the ones you know that we partnered with to build this studio, and they are problem solvers. Now, it matters, of course, and that's significant if you're trying to get back on your feet after fire damage, flood damage, mold, or asbestos. But what about just a simple construction project? Or at least that's what you're looking for. You're hoping it stays simple. We've seen the team at Complete Care Restoration at work. The professionalism that they bring to every project every single day 
made a huge impression on us, and that's why we're proud to partner with them. We give our personal endorsement here, two thumbs up. You can find them online at completecarerestoration.ca. Well, first episode of every week, we get to hang out with our good pal, Charles Adler. And uh, Johnny, I can't believe that we've made it to this point in the show without even referencing yesterday's Heritage Classic. Oh, the Edmonton yeah. Oilers hosting the Calgary Flames mm-hmm. at what, what appeared to be, I don't know if technically it was a sold out Commonwealth Stadium, but an absolutely fantastic celebration of hockey. The Edmonton Oilers yeah. winning that one, which was big. I mean, both these teams desperate for a win. Charles, were you watching the game yesterday? Were you were you paying attention to the broadcast? Was that something that was on your radar? Before we talk about the Heritage Classic, can can you pass on a question uh, from me to a person who's a design expert, an expert on fashion, but but all things visual? That would be Kerry Skelton. Could okay. you pass on a, <laughs> yeah, sure. a question? Yeah, okay, what is my, it? My, my question is, the glasses, um, should I stay with these glasses do they make me wiser? Do they make me a geek? Do they enhance, most important for this program, do they enhance the credibility of the Jesperson brand? Because if they don't, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll lose them. I'll trash them. I'll, well, I think I think that them. geek is the new chic, pal. So, uh, okay, so I would say go with back. it. And okay, whether or not right. it makes you smarter, I mean, I guess we'll be able to answer that in about 20 minutes <laughs> after you and I have talked. Yeah, once you, once you whack me with another... <laughs> With, with, with another letter, yeah, but, we'll find out. Yeah, we okay, do but, have a letter coming up, but ch- check this yeah. out. People can see on my Instagram, my Twitter as yeah. well. I posted it. Here's a real uh, Instagram. Just uh, You can follow me at Ryan Jesperson. Here's the two teams coming out with much oh fanfare God. and pyrotechnics was, yesterday, Chuck. It, it was so much fun. It was the best, it was the best Heritage Classic that, that I've ever seen uh, on, on all levels and including uh, the game where the Edmonton Oilers really put out and, and, and won the game. And my favorite guy, I know my favorite guy is supposed to be Connor McDavid, but my favorite guy has become uh, Dreisaitl. And uh, he was just um, doing what Dreisaitl does, uh, helping to win. Yeah. So uh, I'm not, not disparaging McDavid. That's not the point at all. I just uh, <laughs> You're allowed to years, cheer for Leon. Yeah, that's last couple of I, I Dreisaitl is, is such a sniper, um, you know, and when he's on, there's just nobody better. Um, and so, so last night he was, he was very much on, I, I, I mentioned all this because very often the heritage classic, all of the organization and all of the atmospherics end up overwhelming the actual hockey game. Yeah. That didn't happen last night in Edmonton. It was still a great hockey game. So uh, by the way, um, full disclosure, I'm always doing full disclosure here, probably do too much disclosure, <laughs> but I will disclose that Nickelback has never been my favorite band. But last night, in, in in terms of the entire context perspective and the fact that they were definitely revving up the fans, even Nickelback, t- to my ear, sounded better last night than I've heard them in the past. Well, you know, and Johnny was <laughs> Johnny was DJing uh, yesterday. You were DJing yeah. ahead of Beaches, which yeah. is another awesome band. So yeah. you were part of it all, which was yeah. must have been super fun for you to take we were part doing, in that. Yeah, we were doing the big uh, Sirius XM Canada pregame party. So, And nice. I was hanging out with the guys who put the whole thing together. Of course, the CCO, the creative genius, Steve Mayer from the NHL, and then John Picaro, who, of course... Is the nice lead. name drops, pal. Nice name drops. Oh, yeah. Got to give them a shout out because like they fly always, into Canada. Always stroking the clients. <laughs> well done, John. They're here. My they're, kind of guy. They're here a month before. And like Charles is saying, like these guys envision everything. They bring everything to life. And when you're yeah. doing that in a place that big with 60,000 people. And the thing that I love is not all the things that go right. It's watching to see 
if nothing goes wrong. Yeah. Because so many things can go wrong from the timing of that band playing out the teams, everything. What about the timing of the fighter jets? I'm, I'm, Dude, it was that, perfect. It's perfect. Yeah, it was, and, and people got to remember. What a show. That, was, that was a model. I tell you, whoever's doing Heritage Classics in the future, this is a this is a really tough act to follow. I but, agree. But this, this should be what you and I would call the gold standard. Everybody who yeah. organizes a Heritage Classic from now on for the next thousand years has got to follow what happened at the end of October in 2023 in Edmonton, Alberta. Yeah, Sharon, by the way, giving a shout out to Zach Hyman. Uh, Hyman had it was a beast yesterday. Awesome as well. And you're getting a lot of good feedback on the glasses, Chuck. Uh, Gilles just says, you do you, Charles. Tracy says, very stylish. So, you know, Bunny Thank Slippers you. likes him. She's, Bunny Slippers says, great work, Chucky. So there you go. Bunny uh, Slippers. Yeah, Bunny. It's, bunny one, of the, it's, like one, of the, it's one of the best handles in our chat. Bunny Slippers <laughs> is one of our regulars. <laughs> I will say this about Nickelback, and somebody made yeah. the observation as well. Uh, we were looking around and and uh, somebody said, I don't know what there were there about 55,000 people, I would say off the top of my head ish approximately. That is yeah. the fullest I've seen Commonwealth. Yeah, in, man. It's got to be three years. And somebody yeah. said, uh, somebody said, well, would you look at that for all the shots that people take at Nickelback while you would expect everybody to be trying to find a urinal, to be trying to find a washroom, or to be trying to find a beer, <laughs> right. 55,000 people stayed in their seats to hear right. Nickelback. I, I, and I, full, that full says something, man. Full disclosure. I was in the urinal for part of the Nickelback. <laughs> I don't want to picture so that. Bal- we want we want the show to be balanced, and there you go. But I will say this: one little thing I did. I, I they're they're playing Saturday night, and it's Sunday. That was the only thing I didn't like. Yeah, that was weird. I was like. Just play any other song. I also thought it was weird that the Heritage Classic was on Sunday anyway. I I feel the same way. It should be on Sunday. I had to remind myself last night, Chuck, I was lucky enough to be, you know, in one of the after parties, and I had to remind myself around 11.30 p.m. that it was not, in fact, Saturday night, (laughs) and I was going to be speaking to some political pundits like you, uh, and I better get my ass home. And so that's what I did. Can can I I offer just one, one complaint, and I don't mean to embarrass anyone here. Sure. Every time I hear a PA announcer anywhere in the National Hockey League, okay, anyone, anytime I hear someone who's sort of the host of a game, football or or, or hockey, and it's not Ryan Jesperson, I feel ripped off. <laughs> Thanks, I go pal. right to the urinal. Thanks, pal. So yeah. we we had the two Al's last night. So Al Stafford, official uh, voice of the Edmonton He's Oilers, a good friend of ours, and then you also had Al Murdoch, who is the in-game voice for the Vancouver Canucks, but he also does all the special events. So so you could say that they both put the Al in. The Battle of Alberta. Oh, jeez. <laughs> that was pretty good, Johnny. Actually, did, you just, did you just cook that up right now? Al, that was pretty good. I like Al from Vancouver. He's a great voice. Yeah, but what are you doing bringing an event host from Vancouver when you have a perfectly good one right here? Am I right, Charles? Right here. Well, right they, here, right? they like right to here. keep the team right together, right? So they've got the same DJ, <laughs> the same production manager, the same voice yeah. for all the special events. Hey, guys, right can here I... in the Ice District is the best damn host you could ever find. Thank you, Charles. His name is, his name is Ryan Jesperson. Not only is he smart when it comes to podcasting, broadcasting, and you know public events, all the and other all casting, that, he yeah. was smart enough to to, to marry to to, to 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 get Kerry Skelton to marry him. Yes, the smartest person in the world. Still trying to figure out how I pulled that one off. I hey, have no idea. A big bummer over we need the an weekend. Inquiry right, right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. order an inquiry. Uh, Matthew Perry, man. Uh, just the worst. Obviously, it's uh, okay. you know, uh, I mean, devastating news. Like the guy's, you know, not didn't even hit his 60th birthday. Found dead in his hot tub. And um, I think this is one. I, I I don't know. It's been a while since like my whole social media feed all weekend was people lamenting the loss of Matthew Perry. 
So I want to use this, uh, not to be exploitive, but to say something that I think is in the spirit with how Matthew looks at life. You can talk about fame, you can talk about celebrity stuff, none of that, no, no fame, no amount of acclaim can compete with the demons, okay? That is, that, that is a battle that fame, money cannot defeat. It's the hardest work in the world. He wants to be known, he wanted to be known for the hard work he did, helping others to, to, to fight the demons. And there's nothing wrong with mentioning the fact that he was an actor, nothing wrong with mentioning the fact that he was an actor in a very, very successful situation comedy. But his life is not about the situation comedy. His life is about the situation he and millions of others around the world struggled with. And before we move on, Ryan, I just want to say this. Um, there are many people who have comfortable lives. They come from comfortable backgrounds. They have comfortable parents. There's nothing wrong with their parents. Nothing wrong with that. There's, there's no you know, technical dysfunction in their lives, okay? And many of them feel that they have to hide from rehab and they have to hide from their demons and, and hide from dealing with them in, in a way they have to be dealt with. And they, the reason for that is because they have some kind of guilt. You know, they're not from the wrong side of the tracks. Um, they haven't been victims of, of severe abuse. And so I just want to say to anybody who's, who's listening to this podcast right now, just because you come from a comfortable life and just because your parents may be successful and just because you may be successful is no reason to feel guilty about dealing with the most important battle of your life. The demons do not care how much money you have on your balance sheet. Mm, yeah, well said, Chuck. Uh, Alberta politics fire back. I mean, I don't know if Alberta politics ever really chill out. They don't. Uh, but, you know, the session, fall session officially underway. And as I'm sure you just heard me talking uh, to Cheryl and Erica about this, everybody is talking about this Alberta pension plan. There's other yeah. things going on. It's serving, uh, unfortunately, in some cases as a big distraction around some other issues. But, what, you know, what's, what's your take on this? What are you watching specifically in the context of the throne speech today and the session kicking off? Well, the, the problem I have with the, the way uh, Danielle Smith and some others uh, want to run their shows is instead of just legislating, instead of just governing for the future, they're looking for every single opportunity to pick a fight. I, I get that it creates clicks and I get that it creates donations and it. I hate to use this phrase, but I have to use it. It revs up the base. Yeah. But it's not it's not public service. It's cheap. It's miniature. And it, it, it makes, in this case, the government look really small, if not silly. But I want to say something that hasn't been said about this, this business about the money, okay? Uh, so Danielle Smith and some other people uh, want to believe uh, that they have uh, over $330 billion of the, the, the actual pension plan, the CPP. Uh, so they talk about roughly 52%. So Alberta, a province with roughly 15% of the population, has 52% of the wealth, and there's no doubt in my mind many people believe that. The people who believe it aren't aren't economists, and they're not the best economists uh, anywhere in Canada. But here's the, here's the, the problem uh, that many people haven't uh, discussed, and it, I hope it never is a problem. Um, Alberta wants to pretend that Quebec does better than Alberta. The, the truth will eventually emerge, and it, it, should be, it should have emerged a long time ago. The average... Quebecer does not have the disposable income that the average Albertan has. And the average Quebecer pays far more tax, not a little more, 
far more tax with this separate system they have in Quebec. They've got a separate pension plan. They also have a separate income tax. When you're living in Quebec, and I lived in Quebec for many years, you're paying federal taxes and you're also paying provincial taxes on separate tax forms and you're paying and paying and paying. And then there are a, a whole bunch of extraneous taxes. But I'll tell you this, if anybody in Quebec uh, tried to sell Quebecers on the idea that they had roughly 52% of the money that uh, is in the CPP, that that is, you know, that, that Quebec is, is generating more than half the wealth in the country. If anybody sold that in Quebec, and if anybody sold that on a factual basis, in other words, if Quebec actually was carrying the rest of Canada, Quebec would leave Canada. This is not a cheap shot at Quebec. This is just looking at it squarely in the eye. Quebec did not leave Canada because Quebec wasn't carrying Canada. Canada was carrying Quebec. And a big part of that was Alberta. And Albertans can congratulate themselves for creating the kind of wealth and opportunity that helps to carry many other provinces, including the one I'm living in right now, Manitoba. I'm grateful to Alberta every day, but I'm not grateful to a government in Alberta that wants to pick a fight which isn't about the pension plan. It's simply about getting other people in this country, including the federal government, hostile. Because there are people in Alberta who believe we're part of the separatist slash sovereignist movement who believe that if they can get Ontario to dump on Alberta and if they can get Quebec to dump on Alberta and especially if they can get Ottawa to dump on Alberta, that will jack up the mood for separatism. That's what this is all about. It's a Trojan horse for separatism. And that's why I detest it. I detest it with every fiber of my being. What what sort of a vibe are you expecting from the premier? Like there will be the opposition uh, messaging. I'm just predicting this. Uh, yeah. You know, obviously we don't know, but I'm predicting the opposition will say this is a government that's been dishonest with you. Uh, you know, they said they weren't going to touch your pensions. Now they want it. They're salivating at the thought of touching your pensions. Um, you know, they're, they're going to talk about some of the advice that the premier gets from, you know, people that, that may be sort of less than mainstream uh, in, in you know, where they lean and what fuels their ideas and their ambitions. You know, they'll, they'll sort of try to pitch her as crazy without using that word. Meantime, Daniel Smith, I think, and we'll talk to her on Wednesday here on the show, we'll try to give off a vibe, I think, of, uh, you know, transparency, uh, trustworthiness, uh, reasonable sort of leadership. Uh, what are you expecting to see? Well, the thing is, it, it's, it's hard to trust her. I mean, take something as simple as the Turkish Tylenol. I don't have to explain what that is. Everyone in Alberta listening knows what the Turkish Tylenol is about. So the government spent $100 million yeah. on Turkish Tylenol. Yeah, like when she was million, asked about yeah. it recently, she said that it was it was terrific because it, it solved the crisis. It did not solve the crisis. The supply chain of regular Tylenol, the kind that people actually want to get for their kids, solved the crisis. The supply chain kicked in. Hardly any of the Turkish Tylenol was used. And, of course, there's still a whole lot of it available. They can't sell it at fire sale prices. They're going to end up throwing it out. So for her to say, I mean, this is a simple thing, right? Relatively simple. So for her to say that the Turkish Tylenol that the taxpayers paid $100 million for solved a crisis when it didn't, if she fibs, okay, I'll just use the F word, fib. If she's fibbing about the small crap, do you really expect her to tell her the truth about the big stuff? And the other problem with all of this is that whether it's Smith or, or, or Horner or anyone else speaking for the government, they seem to be really, really okay with Albertans going to a referendum just based on a vibe, based on a feeling on whether or not they, they want to have uh, a separate Alberta pension plan. 
I mean, none of these people are arguing for all of the objective facts to be in so that people can, in a democracy called Alberta, vote on the facts. I don't vote on feelings, not on something as important as this. It's about the rest of your life if you're talking about your pension. So the idea that you would vote on something that's critical for the rest of your life, the idea, well, yeah, I just, I just vote based on my vibe, based on how based on how the UCP people come across. I'm mm -hmm. sorry. That's an insult to the intelligence of the people, and it's certainly an insult to democracy. Uh, Charles, you know, most of our audience knows that you join us every week, and, and sometimes you and I are talking about, uh, heck, today the Heritage Classic and Matthew Perry and just real-life stuff that people are talking about around their water coolers and at the hockey rinks, and, and, and sometimes we're talking about national or even international news stories. And uh, you've been pretty clear on your feelings around uh, the Israel-Hamas war and the conflict in the Middle East, and people can go back and check out past episodes if they want to hear more of your thoughts on that. But but your comments last week promised, uh, prompted an email from Mahmouda, and uh, I, I passed it along to you ahead of time so you had a chance to read it. For the benefit of the audience, I want to read a portion of the email uh, to further our dialogue here, uh, to bring real talk to the table every week, uh, and then give you a chance to respond. Uh, she says, I've been reflecting about the interviews that you've had on your show uh, on you know relating to Gaza and Israel. We've got more coming this week, by the way, Real Talk. Uh, and she says, in all honesty, I found the conversation you had with Charles uh, a week ago. So last Monday was as triggering for me, she says, as the one uh, with Gata Sasa. <clears throat> she says, before I explain, I want to let you know that after your interview with Gata, I reached out to the Canadians for Justice and Peace in the Middle East to express my concerns. Uh, it was clear that her responses were problematic vis-a-vis -vis international law. Uh, you know, appearing to justify Israeli civilian deaths. She has a right to her point of view. But from my understanding of that organization, her responses did not line up with their core principles. Uh, and Mahmouda says, I did get a, uh, a response from them. By the way, Gattasasa has been suspended from that board. And, and basically, she lit the board on fire on social media. So I'm assuming she's not going back. Uh, back to Mahmouda's email. She says, I had concerns with Charles's approach to this conflict as well, though. He, like Gata, seemed to be justifying the ongoing killing of Palestinian civilians, despite what international humanitarian law might have to say on this matter. His answer came through a scenario about towns in Alberta being attacked, and he questioned how we would react if the same thing happened to us in Alberta. Uh, while it matters how victims feel, legal systems should not be driven by victims' feelings. Uh, things can go pear-shaped very quickly. Otherwise, an aggrieved country, even more than an aggrieved person, can impose a whole lot of hurt on a whole lot of people. She says international laws has evolved over the years to avoid this whole lot of hurt. The laws governing warfare have developed over the years to avoid unnecessary suffering for civilians during conflict, including the indiscriminate bombing of civilians. And when Charles spoke about the atrocities that Hamas committed and their end game, he did not address some of the very disturbing statements from Israel's officials uh, regarding Palestinians in Gaza. You know, the Israeli ambassador to the UK told a reporter that we should expect a Palestinian death count of up to 600,000. The president of Israel asserted there are no civilians in Gaza, a horrific line of thinking which ignores basic principles underlying current international humanitarian law. The head of Israel's armed forces has described Palestinians as human animals. Other officials have called them human savages. This dehumanizing of Palestinians looks like the manufacturing of consent to kill Palestinian civilians with impunity. When we're being informed by experts that a genocide is taking place, then a ceasefire should be the one thing that everyone can agree on. Yet Charles could not bring himself to support it. The idea that Hamas can be destroyed through the killing of, say, 600,000 Palestinian civilians 
aside from it likely being a crime against humanity, does not seem to be a well-thought-out strategy. Do we expect, given Palestinians' desire to be free from their decades of occupation, that no other group will rise from the ashes of Gaza? That from Mahmouda. So if I'm Mahmouda and I'm only looking at all the things that uh, she looked at, I would agree with her 100%. I uh, read military experts all the time. I also have the good fortune because of the the life I've led in terms of uh, broadcasting and journalism and connections. I know a number of military experts. Uh, None of the military experts that I'm going to refer to here happen to be Israeli and none of them happen to be Jewish. But here's the point. None of them think that in light of what happened on October 7th in Israel, that Israel can just wrap things up in two weeks. None of them think that Israel enhances its security situation by having a ceasefire. And none of them can remember any country in any serious battle in the history of battles, in the history of warfare, uh, calling for a ceasefire uh, two weeks into the, the campaign. So my heart would want a ceasefire. My heart wants to cease all killings. But like I said a few moments ago about voting in a referendum, You can vote with your feelings, but I'd rather vote with my head. I don't know how you disable or disarm Hamas in two weeks. And I am confident that regardless of how some Israelis describe some Palestinians, regardless of all of that, which which Hama mentioned, which is all which is which is 100 percent shameful. I I agree with absolutely none of those characterizations. I don't call human beings animals unless I'm having a really, really bad day. I can say, well, some Israelis obviously are having a bad day. And they're, they're bound to say those kinds of things. The uh, Hamas side says those kinds of things all the time. But putting putting that aside, I don't want to get into this business of people are animals. People are people. And children are children, whether they're Palestinian children or Israeli children. But the larger point is this. If the Israelis could figure out how to disarm Hamas in two weeks, I'm sure they would do it. I do not believe that any Israelis are dancing in the streets when they see pictures of Palestinian children killed. And I do not believe that any Israeli rabbis are doing what some some people of the cloth on the other side are doing, uh, which is uh, to to pray for, to pray to God, to pray to Allah uh, for for beheadings. I've not heard of any Israeli rabbi doing that. So we we can keep the conversation on a very, very emotional basis. Uh, the, the the slaughter of Israeli children, the slaughter of Palestinian children, or we can simply agree that nobody wants slaughter. But if you actually believe that a ceasefire will make Israelis safer from Hamas, and therefore the Palestinians safer from Hamas, because the Palestinians are not safe with Hamas in charge. I mean, that's obviously clear. Just look at the pictures. So if anyone believes that there's more safety for Israeli children, and more safety for Palestinian children by having a ceasefire, that's fine. You can you can believe that until the cows come home. That's a tough one for me to believe. I don't believe it. You see that this tweet uh, from the Pope's official account at Pontifex, let the arms cease, stop, brothers and sisters. War is always a defeat, always, always. What do you make of the Pope tweeting about this? It's, it's a human issue. And if I were advising the Pope, I would advise him to tweet the same thing. Mm. And as I say, we can keep these conversations on, a, on an emotional level. Who doesn't want, like what, what human being out there doesn't want the killing to stop? I want the killing to stop. But I'm thinking in terms of the next six months 
and the next six years and the next 60 years. And I don't know how it advances the cause of safety in the area in the next six months or six years, certainly, by having a ceasefire now. The, the, the only way that in that part of the world you can tamp things down and make things safer for Israelis and Palestinians is for Hamas to get weaker. If, if you know, Hillary Clinton was talking about this just a, a couple of days ago. If you give Hamas a ceasefire now, you strengthen Hamas. And if the idea is that you've got to weaken them, having a ceasefire does exactly the opposite. You can catch Charles Adler, the very first episode of Real Talk every single week. And if you want more, you can subscribe to the Charles Adler Show, his podcast. You'll find him on Twitter as well, at Charles Adler. We'll talk to you again in a week, pal. Thank you. You got it. We welcome your feedback as well on that talk at ryanjesperson.com. I mean, Mahmouda there, that, that's, a, that's an audience email. Uh, obviously, she put a ton of thought into that. I thought it was very articulate, very well spoken. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, we welcome you holding our feet to the carpet. Uh, and, and, and that includes our guests as well. If you hear something on the show that just doesn't align with your perspective on this, we want these conversations to move forward. We want to glean, you know, we seek to understand, as we say, and glean a better understanding of issues uh, based in uh, a lot of circumstances, your lived experience or your diverse perspectives as well. And so we thank you for those emails. I will say it's pretty crazy if that's true that Israel's saying there's no civilians in Gaza. Like, No, that is true. We're talking about one of the most densely populated places on Earth. If you've researched it, like, it's two million, two million people in 40 kilometers. Yeah, I mean, just that's the assertion, twice the size though, of Edmonton in 40 kilometers. That's having that perspective crazy. is, like, basically just saying, like, if, 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 if you're not with us, you're with them. Yeah. That's basically it. It's ridiculous. And you, you talk to a lot of people on how... You know, how, how does genocide happen? Like, what are the steps toward genocide in human history? Mm-hmm. And like pretty much number one is dehumanize. Separating yourself from dehumanize, them. Yeah. you know, totally. convince people like like how did the German population, you know, like I've always I've wondered this. I, I know that I'm I'm saying something very obvious here. No, we've talked about this. But how like, did they get Germany in line? is like a, a quote unquote. Like people see it as like a normal, stable country. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's not like Germany was. You know what I mean? I mean, you look right now: Germany, Italy, France, England. Like you know, c- countries that have like stable economies. Mm-hmm. There's innovation there. There's stable government. You know, but so the German population has not been like these savage killers forever. But something happened in mm-hmm. the like 1920s, into the 30s, and then into the 40s. Like and, and obviously there were roots before then, but just I'm not a historian. But the point is, how do you get to a point where an entire population or at least the, the majority of a population of millions of people do absolutely nothing about the slaughter of millions of people? Yeah. Like, how do you get a population to get on board with that and to support that and to call in their neighbors and report people to the, you know, like it, it all starts with D de- in that case, dehumanizing the Jewish population. Mm-hmm. Right. And and uh, and those sometimes can start with like little chips and little comments. But, you know, the whole the whole thing about calling Palestinians human animals. I mean, like that's I don't know how you justify that. I don't know. I don't know how anybody can go. Well, yeah, it's war, though. I mean, you know. Yeah. And these people, I mean, we've said it before, but they've been dealing with it forever. I mean, they're trapped by the Israels, by, you know, Israelis and Egyptians. They've been living in this, this like I said, such a small area for 2 million people Tiny. to be living there. So anytime, I don't care where you're dropping a bomb there saying we're not going for, people are going to die. Yeah. Innocent people are going to die every time you drop a bomb there. Mm-hmm. So, 
Yeah, uh, we'll continue to have this uh, conversation, obviously, as this uh, conflict continues. And um, it goes without saying that we welcome your feedback. And, and we hope we made that clear. Listen, in, in, in times like this, where there's a lot of heaviness going on, and it's real life, and it does matter, uh, we're also grateful for a tradition uh, every Monday, thanks to our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy, where we get to focus on something that's just like fun and something that, that sort of like restores our faith or, or at least preserves faith in humanity. It's Positive Reflections presented by our friends at Kubi Energy. And as we are a day away from Halloween, uh, Johnny, yeah, I, had, yeah. I had promised this a while back. Uh, we wanted to share some of our fun Halloween costumes oh, over okay. the years, the family costumes. Uh, maybe you're looking for a little inspiration. Maybe this will help you out. Maybe it'll just bring a smile to your face. <laughs> uh, these are all from my wife, Carrie's Instagram account. She's shared her favorite Halloween costumes over the years. Here you can see Wyatt uh, last year wanted to be a clogged toilet. Johnny. Are you a shit disturber? I'm a in this shit photo? disturber. <laughs> Carrie is a tired mummy, as you can see, wrapped in the mummy cloths. I thought she nailed it. And little Noah Bear is our rubber ducky. So we went with the bathroom theme yeah. last year. Okay, the year before that, this was a super fun one. There's Noah Bear, his little rubber ducky. He was like uh, just a few months old at that point. Year before, Wyatt wanted to be a Zomboni. So oh, he was like a, this he was a zombie Zamboni, uh, which was great. Carrie, the, the, the zombie figure skater. Um, I, I there, of course, am playing for the zombies, the the, the grinding third line energy winger, the like zombie it. winger. And then our two pups, Moses and Monroe, the pylons. <laughs> uh, we always try to integrate the dogs into costumes whenever we can. Wyatt just did a great job in character as the Zomboni driver. This was so much fun to do, of course, because we made the costumes ourselves, which takes a little bit more time, but, but I always think that that adds to it. He was inspired by Colonel Chris Hadfield one year. Oh, he I wanted, like this one. He wanted to go as Colonel Chris Hadfield, mm -hmm. and so Carrie was the sun, I was the moon, and our little Wyatt Rudy was the commander of the International Space Station, which was super fun. That was one of our favorite costumes as well. Wyatt did such a good job with his <laughs> that mustache. His, uh, his, the, <laughs> look at that duster, hey? <laughs> he just nailed it, did such a good job. There's my beautiful bride as the sun. And this one was pretty fun for us as well. Wyatt spent a lot of time in, in, in mm -hmm. the cosmos for his Halloween costumes as Buzz Lightyear. You can see our pups, the aliens, and uh, us as uh, Woody and uh, Jesse. So that was super fun as well. Um, but I wanted to also show off, like, it's it's not uh, not just our family. Of course, there's thousands of families all around the world that do really amazing things when it comes to Halloween costumes. And this dad, Johnny, check this out. This video uh, is courtesy of SWNS. Uh, this is a dad. Uh, his name is Tom Saltzman. And he's, for the last eight years, been building, he's a designer, he's like an architect, and he's been building incredible installations at his family home. Look at these. These are oh, like these are 15, 20 enormous. foot high. This guy plots these out. He builds models and then builds them up to scale. He's had gigantic mechanical gorillas. I mean, just above and beyond. Look at this King Kong that he made. That's, it actually moves. That's it actually moves. So a big shout out to parents like Tom Saltzman out there who do just amazing jobs on their Halloween installations. We want to see yours as well. Send us some of your photos. Send us video. Tag us in your Instagram posts. Uh, tonight, obviously, Monday night. Halloween is Tuesday. Maybe on Wednesday we'll have some fun. I'm sure we will. Showing off some of Real Talkers Halloween installations. That could be after we sit down with Premier Danielle Smith. She'll be live on the show Wednesday right here in the Real Talk studio. If you want us to consider a question, something you'd like her to ask, be asked, maybe something 
something you haven't heard or comment on yet, you know where to find us. Positive Reflections is presented the first episode of every week by our amazing friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. You can get a free solar quote today at kubienergy.ca. We'll talk to you tomorrow, Real Talkers. Thanks for being a part of today's show. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook-Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepherd, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Ann Castleman, Ori Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.